The Evolve Network is now live at evolvenetwork.tv. Subscribe for meal plans, recipes, cooking shows, and our very own The Magic Pill and The Magic Plant, as well as access to my favorite documentaries. The Evolve Network is also home to our full library of podcasts, with new release podcasts airing first and in full on the channel. You can also watch selected vodcasts in a video format. Meanwhile, enjoy this highlight of our podcast and head over to evolvenetwork.tv for the full Evolve podcast experience. The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Mickey, thank you so much for joining us once again, brother. How you been? I've been really good, Pete. Really good. How about you? Right, fantastic. I mean, uh, <laughs> I didn't think this would still be going on a year after we had our last chat, but um, yeah, here we are, deeper. Two, yeah. two weeks to flatten the curve. <laughs> deeper down the rabbit hole, and um, I'm really great. It was great to see that you have continued your path, and I just watched the seven-minute trailer that you just released, and um, I, I love the techno- technological yeah, I know, things I know. of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched your, your latest trailer and I thought, finally, we, we, I don't want to say we're getting there, but we are getting there, I believe. And, and I want to talk to you about Plandemic 3 and, um, and the, of course, the impetus to put this out and what the creative process was for you with your intention behind Plandemic 3. Well, you know, I didn't know if we were go- going to have a Plandemic 3 or not with all the censorship and all of that. And, but, you know, now that we're a year from the release of Plandemic 2 and so much of the narrative has been revealed in our favor, um, literally every major claim we made has been validated at this point. And so um, the tide has turned. And so we thought, well, let's, let's jump back at it. And this time we have a massive network behind us that we didn't have before. And so it's very inspiring, uh, all of the doctors that have generated large audiences and so many other um, media networks that are um, now willing to get behind this, where before they kind of avoided it like the plague because they either thought that it was 
uh, misinformation or they knew that it was true and dangerous. And uh, but now I think with uh, everyone, you know, being more aware of what's actually happening and that what we were um, warning the world about is is now visible to most of the people. Um, we decided to go ahead and do um, what I, I really consider to be the final episode in the trilogy. We'll see. Maybe we'll go number four. I don't know. Hopefully we don't have to. I would love to move on to uh, doing more important things like coaching my son's little league team. Um, but we'll see what happens here in the next year or so. If we're, maybe you and I will be back in a year um, <laughs> shaking our heads once again that we're still here. Um, but it, it, it's doubtful because of the, uh, the things that are um, being revealed right now. And so um, the, the main issue that is really waking up people around the world is the way that they're coming after the children. And uh, New York just announced that they're going to mandate um, vaccines for children. And these are, you know, the talking points that they refused to, to admit to, that they said there's no way that they would do that. It's con constitutionally not legal, and there's no way that they'd be doing that. And, and just go ahead and get your shot, your one shot, and that'll be it. And you return to normal and have your freedom back. And and so by now, I think the the majority of the citizens are realizing that that's all just a big con to get them to continue to be on a regular schedule of vaccines. Um, and that's where it's headed. Literally, they, they're, they're going to have uh, it, it just like every year they say, you know, your annual flu shot. This is going to be a mandated situation where it's going to be more than once a year um, for a lot of people. And um, all that's going to do is create more resistance and uprisings in the streets and and people lifting their voices. And ultimately, it will um, be a good thing because it's, it's time that the people stand up and take control of uh, our lives. Mm. I saw that this, this morning, actually. Um, I'm away from my wife. I'm down in Sydney with my mum and my kids at the moment. And, and she sent me from her home country, New Zealand, with their Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, talking about that there will be no end to, to their vaccination program. I mean, she publicly stated that there is no end. We will continue this for basically ever. And over the last year, People have asked me my thoughts, and and it's exactly what what you said then. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I'll just preface this, and I, I don't mean any disrespect to anybody out there, but prior to the pandemic, one of the key areas we worked in in regards to health and nutrition, especially with food and and dietary principles, was helping parents of vaccine-injured children that had developed autism or neurological uh, disorders. And each one of those parents was a pro-vaccine individual because they took their child along to the doctors and they trusted that system. And they came to the conclusion, um, some very quickly, others reluctantly, that for some reason, their child had an adverse reaction to a vaccine of what was once their perfectly healthy, normal child. And then they've had to deal with the issues that are, have arisen from trusting that system. Now, the tricky thing is that it doesn't happen to every child, as far as we know. So going into this pan pandemic, as you've called it, and seeing what has happened over the years, what has happened to these parents that have seen their children become injured, they have become 
warriors, so to speak, they've been the ones that have voiced their opinion and tried to alert people that there is something wrong. And my thoughts are that, and it's a, it's a terrible thought, but the same thing is going to happen with these vaccination programs is that the people that have trusted and believed in the system are soon to realise that that system isn't infallible and there are problems with this system and it may not happen to everybody but it's definitely happening as we're witnessing and that's what I'm so grateful with watching the trailer for Plandemic 3 is those voices are now being heard on a mass scale and I want to I want you to take us down the journey of what that was like interviewing the people and the the people that have had adverse reactions to these vaccines if if and if that was part of the 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 narrative that you wanted to portray with pandemic three absolutely and first i want to address the point that you mentioned a couple of times there that it doesn't happen to everybody and of course that's the case um, nothing happens to everybody um you know there are are very functional heroin users you know and and it does not everyone becomes strung out on heroin but a lot of people do. And so it's Russian roulette. And there are a lot of factors involved with the vaccine that people don't realize. There, there are different batches. And there's a lot of rumor that even, even some of the early batches were saline and very harmless things, elements that people could then say, ah, it was fine, no, no issues whatsoever. So that that narrative would start before they actually did the actual test. Um, and then there's a lot of uh, science that people aren't aware of and, and a lot of very um, uneducated and unqualified people that are distributing these shots. And if it goes into the muscle where it's supposed to be, into the deltoid, um, there far less adverse reactions occur. When it hits, hits a vein and goes in the bloodstream, that's when you get the myocarditis and the heart issues and the blood issues and, and, and the adverse reactions and death. And so that's, that's these are all, and there's many more factors too, but, but this is why we see some people are just fine, you know, and, and, but a lot of people aren't. And so we have been, I, as I've been saying lately, I just wish, I wish the world could see what I see and what the, what the rest of my team sees and they will through the release of our movies, but to sit with one family after another and hear the exact same story which is we're absolutely pro-science and pro-vaccine. And so we were excited about this and we thought it was, what's interesting also is they, it, it's so um, obvious that the political talking points, the way that we repeat what the media says, because they, they all have the same vernacular. You know, they say, uh, you know, I took one for the team and it was for the, for the greater good and it was my moral obligation and I wanted to do the right thing and and I wanted to you know travel I had to do it for my job it's it's it doesn't vary it's all within the, that tight parameter of the chosen narrative and uh but to hear these people it's 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 heartbreaking you know we there are a lot of tears that we shed in our edit bays here because we see the stuff that a lot of people don't see and we don't do just work around COVID and all of that. You know, we just finished a film on the Afghanistan rescues. And so 
we get sent um, videos straight from the Taliban, not from them, but videos that have been apprehended and then sent to us. And so we see the stuff that they blur out on television. And and when you get a, a sense of of all of that and 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 the evils, the potential for evil, uh, the way that humanity has been so desensitized that another life means nothing. And um, I've had a lot of friends that, particularly now that people are starting to reach out to me with with questions now, because they're starting to see how many things can can be revealed that are that our movies said. Until you go, maybe these guys were on to something. You know, there's nothing yet that anyone can point towards and say, well, you got that one wrong. There's not one point. And so people will reach out to, to me quite, quite frequently with, with questions, people that are trying to wake up. They're trying to wake up from the hypnosis, from the mass psychosis. And they ask very similar questions. And one of those questions is, okay, I surrender to the idea that this is not about our health and that there's something else happening here and it's not good. I'm with you. At this point, I denied it a year ago, but now there's no denying that any longer. But I just can't grapple with the idea that the people at the top of this pyramid are doing any of this intentionally and that they would actually want to harm their own nation, their own economy, their own people, and the, and the world they live in, and the world their children live in. And I will say to them, this is what's happened since the cradle of civilization. It has always been the master and slave relationship. And the masters who see the slaves as worker bees, as disposable, they have always committed atrocities in the name of their own sovereignty and power. And, and I will ask them the one thing that I actually reached a friend the other day, I was doing a podcast and, and very good friend. And he had said, he had made that exact comment. He just can't wrap his head around that Bill Gates would intentionally do something to, to harm other people. And I said, um, let's pick a, a couple of corporations. Let's pick Amazon or, or Walmart or some of these mega corporations. Uh, are you aware at how some of the employees are being treated. Yeah, that's in the news. They're, they're, these companies are trying to improve just to save face. Um, but it's it's no secret at this point that Amazon has treated their employees horribly, that Apple, ha- in, in certain territories where their instruments are constructed, that they had to install nets outside the window because people were leaping from the buildings to commit suicide because it was slave labor, that, um, that people have received SOS messages in Amazon packages from people or Nike and different major corporations that are using slave labor in third world countries. And so is it can, can we wrap our heads around the idea that there would be these um, overlords um, in the in the tech big tech industry that would care so little about their people that they would treat them to this degree? Everyone says, yes, of course, of course, that's happening. We know that we can. We can we can um, accept that when we're talking about a mega greedy corporation. And I say, you don't think America is a mega greedy corporation or at least run by people that are trying to make it so? You have to look at it on that kind of a scale. And, and these people that consider themselves the CEOs of our mega corporation and, and the same for Australia and same for other territories, they're running it like a business. They're making money, trade deals insider trading, 
Uh, they're setting their, the, themselves and their family, their lineage up for life with hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, it's no secret that all of our politicians get filthy rich after being in office for a, a number of years. And that's the money that they claim. But these politicians have offshore accounts and gold and things that are not trackable, crypto accounts. So they're worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars when they go into office, maybe with a net value of maybe $300,000. You know, you look at a Nancy Pelosi, people like that, the Speaker of the House, you know, this woman's committed so much fraud in her insider trading that they actually have people on TikTok and other apps that, that have admitted that they follow her lead on Instagram and other, other apps like that, that they literally see what she's investing in because they know she has insider secrets and they invest what she's investing in. And so these are our politicians that, that are running our country all to skim and scam money from the taxpayers. And so I don't know why it's difficult for people to, I, know, I understand why people wouldn't want to believe it because it hurts and it leaves us in this vulnerable position of who do we trust? But we have to at least come to terms with the fact that there are people at the top of this pyramid who don't care if you live or die. And at this point, with the dawning of automation coming, what do they do with the worker bees? They're no longer needed. And that might sound like hyperbole to a lot of people. But at this point, particularly in territories where you are, look at Melbourne and what's going on with the camps, people being arrested for trying to leave the camps. People that are tested, that weren't vaccinated, but tested negative. They don't even have the virus and they're locked in a camp. You know, this is, this is some serious stuff that we're facing right now as, as a human family. And until we are brave enough to articulate it and to say, it's happening. Let's at least start there. It's happening. Now, what do we do about it? It's the next question. I didn't answer your question about Pandemic 3. I'm fully aware of that. Pandemic <laughs> um, 3 is about stopping the indoctrination of our children and, and the tyranny that's overcoming all of our lives at this point. Um, it's also going to focus less on the problems because we have to also get smarter to realize that whatever the media is reporting, the mainstream media, that is what they want the people to look at. So in the same way, a magic trick, a magician goes, you know, watch this, watch this, check this out. Don't look at this hand. Don't look at this hand because it's doing something that I don't want you to know about. But check this out. You know, big fiery smoke and all of that. And this hand all of a sudden produces the rabbit in the hat or whatever. You know, it's the same trick that the media does. So whatever they're saying, you know, look at this. That's what they want us to look at. And so it's it, it takes. um some discipline to not be dazzled by that lure of exciting information and to actually go, I'm going to look this way because you don't want me to for some reason. Oh, look what's over there. And there's always something over there. There's always something in the other hand. And that's that those are the things that we're going to focus on um, in pandemic three, particularly the solutions, because we can't just spend it's, it's detrimental to us to, 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 spend years absorbing all the negative information, what that does to our neurology, what that does to that, the, the light of our spirit is not healthy. And so we, we also have to uh, vibrate above all of that, literally. Like there's, you know, this is, we, we, scientifically, this is an electromagnetic 
Um, we are electromagnetic beings, and this all this planet is is electrified with with you know this magnetic um, pulse that is the pulse of life. And so there's it, it it creates a frequency, and there's low frequencies and higher frequencies. We have to resonate above the low frequencies, and we do that by remembering that love is the most powerful sword. That we're not alone. We're in this together. That. Uh, everything from our histories of mythology points towards us winning this situation, that this is kind of des destined and written in the stars, that we're going to have this human experience to overcome the darkness in the world. And that's the fight that we're fighting right now. It's to hold that vision, not hopefully, but in, from a place of knowing. Hope is, you know, it might happen, but from a place of, I know where this goes. And now let me participate in, 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 in expediting that outcome. It's a very important that we, that we keep our, our, our minds framed around that. And then what's the solution? Yes, we have a lot of problems. What's the solution? Because we're innovators and we're resilient beyond, beyond our belief. And if we just focus there, and that's what pandemic is going to do is, you know, how do we become more sovereign is the question. Individual sovereignty. How do we grow our own food? Get our hands back in the soil. Rehumanize. Reconnect with nature itself. That thing that we've been severed from. How do we cultivate our, our natural intuition so that it's not just constantly listening to filling our heads full of data from some other brain, but we're actually keyed into the thing that nature and animals and everything is, is, is attuned to this incredible broadcast, this intelligent broadcast that we call nature. You know, how do we, how do we get back into a natural pace um, and, and harmonize better with the, the life force itself? Um, so this is what we're digging into right now. I'm inter interviewing psychologists, psychiatrists, um, futurists, you know, people that really like, let's look at what are the new systems and let's, let's present them in this movie so that we, the people can take, um, responsibility for the, the fact that we, we allowed things to get here. And the good news in that is if, 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 if it's our fault, then we're at cause. And if we're at cause, then we're also, we have the power to be at cause of the solution. That's the good news. That's a big pill for people to, to swallow. That's a, it, it's a huge it one that, that yeah. we have contributed and participated to get us to where we are now. So without using good and bad as, as, the, as the scale, but I think that's, it's a very important point that you call you mentioned that we are responsible up until this point and we are all responsible moving forward and i was having this discussion with a friend the other day because they said you know what what do you think is going to happen should i sell my business should i keep my business i said what life do you want to create for yourself i said start with that question Start with that question. Do you want to work 40 hours a week, 60 hours a week, 80 hours a week to keep your business going? Does it, does it bring you joy? Have you got a passion doing that, that job? And I had a, a similar conversation with a friend who's a chiropractor recently. He said, I'm getting pushed into a corner that I might have to take this jab to keep my job. I said, do you define your identity by the career that you've chosen? I'll say that again. Do you define who you are by the career that you've chosen? I said, because what I see with you and with everybody is infinite possibilities. 
to adapt and to evolve. And if you're being pushed into a corner, that's an invitation for you to decide, do I keep walking this path? And Because if you comply, no doubt the lesson will keep coming back to you where you'll be pushed further and further and further into that corner until, as you said, that sovereignty, you embody the sovereign individual, the sovereign human being, where nobody can push you into a corner anymore. And I know it's pretty deep <laughs> what I'm talking about here and what you're talking about, but I do believe the last nearly two years has been a huge invitation for us to all decide will we be pushed around? Will we be pushed into the corner? And I know it's difficult for so many out there. But who are you? What are you willing to do? What have you found that um, people are willing to do, these people that you've interviewed for this current film? Well, off of what you just said, one question I, I like to ask, I love everything that you just said, by the way, I like to ask people, what are you in service to? And ask yourself that at every crossroad. Is this choice that I'm making in service to money only? Is it in service to glorifying the ego or reputation or satisfying some, uh, the tribe, you know? So all my friends go, oh, you're such a good guy. Is it, what, what are we really being in service to here? And, and the more I ask myself that, and the, the, my work is to constantly purify my choices. What I mean by purify is I realize that there's any kind of, if I'm making choices through any kind of filter, uh, dirty filter, um, filters from any of my unhealed wounds, any kind of a choice through the, the, my old story of you're not good enough. If I'm making a choice, so I'm trying to be better now. So I'm making this choice, but that's still a selfish choice because now I'm trying to make myself feel better by doing something instead of just being in service. Like, what's the right thing to do? And I, I don't, I don't often now think about what are the repercussions of this like I used to. You know, I could get in trouble. Oh boy, people may not like me. You know, now it's just like, am I telling the truth? And what is the what is the outcome of not telling the truth? Well, people are going to be harmed. And the, the potential outcome of telling the truth is, well, more attacks, more hate. And I have to weigh those values and go, can I endure that? Am I willing to endure seeing you know, media hit pieces on me at the idea that maybe what we just put out saved one child's life? And if, once you put that together, it, it, the choice becomes very, very simple, very, very simple. I, I will risk the attacks and everything at, at, at the opportunity to help another life. Um, what was your question? Basically, this, this I mean, yeah. First, I, I want to say thank you for, for sharing you in this interview as you've done before with me um, and it, it's a beautiful thing to witness beautiful experience that um you're sharing here with with me and whoever's watching or listening so thank you my friend thank you and the question was about 
the catalyst for the people, uh, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but the people that you interviewed mm-hmm. where that pivotal moment, whether it is a pivotal moment, but that courage and that sovereignty and that yeah. being of service, you know, because even being in your documentary is a big decision for, for many people to make, to be seen, yeah. for them to be vulnerable, to share their story. So yeah. how is it for you? Yeah. Hmm. I, can, I can answer that question with a, a little piece of my 9-11 story. Okay. The, the, for those who don't know, and I think I mentioned it when I did a, your podcast a year ago, um, my grand awakening, at least the beginning of me beginning to, to start looking at um, uh, life from a different angle was being at the World Trade Center when it was attacked in 2001. And I ended up staying for three days and doing search and rescue, which pretty much amounted to body recovery and body part recovery. So we saw a lot of stuff when we were there. I won't get into the details. Um, but about two days into the experience, um, an announcement was made. Somebody came and was very clear that for legal purposes, everyone, they needed everyone's attention, shut off every machine, stop what you're doing. We will not talk until everyone is eyes this way. And they said, we, um, have measured the air and what you're breathing. This is not dust. This is asbestos. This is the worst, most harmful elements that you could be breathing right now. And we highly recommend that if you don't have a proper respirator, which nobody had at that time, um, to leave this area right now. Nobody left. He said, I'm letting you know, this is going to kill you. It's very serious. If you don't have a proper respirator, you're welcome to leave now. We highly recommend it. And we kind of stood there. And everyone looked around and they looked around to see like, who's going to go first. And then boom, machines fired back up and everyone went, went back to work. I didn't see one person walk away. And I just, I started crying. I couldn't believe the beauty. Um, and I had to process what I was witnessing. What, what was so powerful about that moment? Like what? Nobody left. And they were told straight out, this is the long-term effects of this. It may not show up tomorrow or the next day, but it's going to show up. You got fiberglass in your lungs. You got a lot of stuff in your lungs. Didn't show up for me for about 10 years later. And I'm perfectly fine now, but I definitely had to go through a process of getting my lungs cleared. Um, What was happening was an event was that was taking place. For the first time in these humans' lives, everyone that I was with there, men and women, that was so much grander than anything that they had experienced before, that it forced them to go beyond the veil of their own identity. Everything that we all thought was important at that time, as we watched you know, the finest automobiles on Wall Street just getting demolished by rescue vehicles, flipped over, a symphony of car alarms going off. Maseratis, Porsches, everything you can imagine. Beautiful car, a little dusty, but but perfect shape. It wasn't like, let's try to find the owner, get the keys, try to, you know, help. It was just crush, it's gone. And we're like, wow, we're having to recalibrate that this all of this physical world and the things that we had been told are the goal are being reduced to trash right in front of us. So what matters? 
if that doesn't matter, like I thought it did. And it was incredible to see this occur because it forced people into what I would say is their purpose. They were there at the very slight chance. Two days into it, everyone was really clear, like the chance of us finding a survivor in this mess is very slim. But they were willing to risk their own lives at the very slight chance of finding a breathing stranger. And in a sense, that's what's occurring right now on a global scale is this is getting serious enough and people are having a direct experience enough that now they can no longer allow the programmed response, what the media told them to think about this. They can't let that drive them anymore. They're seeing something else and they're experiencing something. And a lot of them are having experiences in their own families. My former partner, wonderful person, lives in Melbourne. Australia. And he had he wrote a letter to me shortly after the release of Pandemic One. He'd seen it. And in a very gentle, loving way, because he's a wonderful person, he said, I'm shocked. I've always admired you. And I'm shocked that you would do this because this is so insensitive. People are dying. And um, a year later, I reached out to this person. And after Australia, you know, was clearly getting worse. And I said, I'm just curious, are you seeing it yet? Simple question. And he wrote back saying, am I seeing it? Yes, I'm seeing my country um, go to great lengths to protect us and to eradicate this horrible virus. And he was very proud of what Australia was doing. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Amazing um, that people you know, would be okay with their fellow citizens being arrested in parks because they stopped. They had their hour outside of the house to do jumping jacks and they stopped too long or they pulled their mask down to sip coffee, or they put a message on Facebook that the government didn't like. And that's somehow um, heroic to my friend. And I thought, this is just amazing. Like they got them. I never thought this person's so intelligent. I never thought that I would hear those words from him. And uh, long story short, his wife was injured by the vaccine. And so now they're reaching out to me for help, advice, information. And I've been through this so many times now, Pete. It doesn't make me feel good. I don't, I don't get happy to, oh, I told you so. I don't have any of those feelings. I sometimes get angry because I know his wife. I actually met her first and then um, she was flirting with me and I said, I'm married, but my friend isn't. And, uh, and they ended up having children and getting married. And, um, and I love her. And so it, it crushes my heart to know that she's dealing with um, a health issue that may last the rest of her life. And, um, and they have one child on the spectrum. And I don't think they've ever wanted to consider that perhaps it was the choices that, that they made to have that baby vaccinated that, that um, did that damage. And so it was very tough for them to even to consider. But now that they have that direct experience, of course, now they're sending me information saying, have you seen this? Is this real? Said, yeah, this is real. This is what's happening. So now they're down the rabbit hole, looking at all the things I wanted, I wanted them to look at over a year ago that they said, oh, all that conspiracy crap, it's just killing people. So the point to all of that is, is unfortunately, it requires 
wants many people to have a direct experience before they will consider the warning shots. And that's what's happening you know, around the world right now. But what we're going to see in the next decade is um, a lot of health complications, a lot of immune issues, a lot of blood and heart issues, um, cancer, cancer that was dormant in a lot of bodies is now being stimulated. And my wife's friend who, same situation, fought her tooth and nail, you know, and she was not on our side at all. Very good friend. And again, a really beautiful woman um, now has stage four cancer. She won't connect it to the vaccine. She doesn't understand that the, the correlation between that. Um, but from perfectly healthy, you know, maybe almost 40 year old or some, somewhere in that age, 40, that now has stage four cancer. And, um, and the amount of people that we have spoken to that have um, went from being perfectly healthy, 28 year olds with heart attacks, with strokes, you know, and some of them two hours after they got the vaccine, two hours. And some of them two weeks and some of them two months. But, um, you know, at this point, you can't write it off as a coincidence and you can't assign all of those situations to something else. The reports here in the United States recently came out what they call the all-cause all mortality rate. And this is uh, something a lot of doctors told me they're waiting for that to come out. And now they're going, holy shit. When you see the numbers, that, that's everyone who's died from anything, all-cause mortality. And when you look at the numbers, you're able to measure them from prior years before 2020 to see now. You see the everything right now is is it's just skyrocketing and but then oddly the the um annual diseases like the flu and other things just plummeted because what they did was they assigned everything um to try to ramp up the cases every illness that people had they and the hospitals were incentivized to do this thousands of dollars that um and this was one of the games that people need to understand was I, I, I feel for the hospitals and the hospital directors because they were told well, you're going to be flooded with COVID patients. And a lot of them set up makeshift hospital, uh, additional hospital floors uh, in their parking lots. They ordered beds and ventilators and just hundreds of thousands of dollars of gear and extra staff and everybody to deal with the influx. And, and they never came. And so and then what? Um, the, the corrupt elements of our government did is they then said, well, if, if um, someone dies and it happens to be COVID, well, then you get $13,000, I believe is the number. And if they die on a ventilator, you get $36,000. This is old information, but it's just, it's worth revisiting because now this left hospital directors going, Moral, you know, there's a moral dilemma that they're faced with of, you know, we're, we're going to go bankrupt and I have 600 staff members that are going to lose their job. We're all going to be out of a job. And when we're out of a job, that means everyone that needs help in this area is not going to have a hospital emergency room to come to. So it's a very serious thing. So they're left to this real moral dilemma of, all right, this man has died. He didn't die from COVID. We know that internally. But if we call it COVID, if we call all of them COVID. We at least get to recoup some of that money that we're losing from this major investment we did that didn't pay out, didn't pan out. And so um, this is just one of the 
many, many games that was played to ramp up the numbers and to incentivize hospitals to call it COVID. And now the all-cause all mortality is showing this. It's showing all of a sudden, okay, this person didn't die from just pneumonia. They died, oh, they died from COVID. So what happened to pneumonia? I mean, you can see the trajectory over the years. And it's very steady and very predictable all-cause all mortality rate. You know, little things fluctuate here and there, but it's, it's a very steady timeline. And suddenly, 2020, things are just erratic. And you can, if you know how to read into it, you know, this is when they wanted more cases. This is when they wanted less. And it's all, you know, politics have gotten involved in the situation. And uh, I'm just glad that so many people are waking up to this now. You had mentioned it's dangerous for some people perhaps to volunteer to sit in the chair and be interviewed by me. Um, and after, you know, a year ago, I had several doctors that I would talk to that would say, hey, thank you. What you're doing is spot on. I saw your movie and you, you guys nailed it. I cannot go on camera. I'll give your information. Consider me a researcher. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll send data to you. I'm here as a consultant, but I will, I will lose my job and I will be ridiculed in my, where I live or whatever. I just can't do this to my family and my life right now. All of those people now are calling me back saying, I hear you doing pandemic three. I'm in if you want me. They've dropped all of that because now they realize something has happened so much greater than their own personas that if they don't participate in the situation now, it may get a lot worse and be, and it may become permanent. And so that, that is a beautiful thing that I'm witnessing is a lot of people just saying they're forgetting about what it might cost them. And they're saying whatever. And I'll ask people, I'll say, is there anything that you, you know, before we turn the cameras on anything you don't want to talk about? And all of them at this point, just say, not, not a damn thing. Let's go. Hmm. I have a very, well, we have a very dear friend called Nora Gagaudis, who basically was the catalyst for my wife and I to learn about how to look after our bodies using food as one of the one of the tools, as we call food as medicine. And we did a speaking tour in Australia and New Zealand probably seven or eight years ago. It was called the Paleo Way Tour, and we did 30 shows around Australia and New Zealand and some of those had a thousand people coming to learn how to eat <laughs> and 1500 in some venues and even in regional Australia we uh, we'd get 500 people and Nora mentioned to us seven or eight years ago she said and she'll be okay with me saying this I believe I'm going to say it anyway but she said they will use vaccines in the future to control the population. And I remember there was a question in the audience back, back then about vaccines and um, somebody, there was, a, there was a plant in the audience from one of the Murdoch-owned newspapers here in Australia and they've tried to link me as an anti-vaxxer from that day when we were just talking about food. And I guess because we focused on food as one of the tools to help vaccinate injured children, that we had a target on us. And, and it's so interesting seeing the last year and a half, two years, what played out. And 
as soon as this this happened, and I remember the first news story where they said where a politician or a health minister came out and said vaccines are the only way out. It just took me right back seven, eight years ago to Nora. And it was like, holy fuck. I see it. I see it. And and like you mentioned to your friend in Victoria. Melbourne. Think, uh, Melbourne, yeah. I said, um, I think I do a post every week saying, do you see it yet? Do you see it yet? Do you see it yet? And it's, it's, I, I feel like I need to replace the see it yet with, do you feel it yet? Do you, do you, do you know it? Yeah. And it's still wanna, news. Yeah. And I want to thank you because I, I did manage to interview David Martin and we've formed a friendship since I watched him on your last pandemic <laughs> film and uh, what a remarkable human being, him and his wife, Kim. And going back to the start of this conversation, I was that person a year or so ago that I couldn't wrap my head around that there are evil people in the world. I just, I just, I really struggled. And I think I did a hundred interviews, you know, 150 interviews over the last year, pretty much with the same question. Like, how can this be happening? Like, I, I can't wrap. I can now. <laughs> I've surrendered it. To, I've surrendered going, as you said, the top of the pyramid, speaking to people like David Icke and, and others, you know, from <clears throat> the interesting thing about this is, I've spoken to the the old school conspiracy theorists, but I've also spoken to people that have been doctors that have been double vaccinated that now see it and feel it. And there's no real difference between what David Icke is saying and what these pro-science double vaccinated doctors are saying because they see it, they feel it, they know it. And... mm, my question to you, sorry, it's taken me a while to get to it, but is this on purpose in your opinion or is it a, is it a, um, is it a runaway train that there's no one driving this anymore and it, it, it's on a collision course and there's nobody that can really at the top that can stop this now? Like it's it's played out for too long that, that there's no breaks and and I'm going to say this and I'm going to be vulnerable here. One of I have a recurring nightmare, and um, for for many 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 years, and um, I jump out of the bed screaming. And in each situation, I'm in a in, in, in that situation of a vehicle whether it be a plane, a boat, a a push bike, a go-kart, whatever it is, I'm in a vehicle with other people in it and we're heading towards some sort of impending doom where we're going to crash and the brakes are gone and we're hurtling at ridiculous speeds towards the end. And and I know what it means, but I guess I'm asking you... (laughs) Will we go off the edge or, yeah. 
take me take me on this journey. Is there anyone steering this, or can we regrasp the wheel as humanity and and put the brakes on, so to speak, or, or divert the course? One of my favorite poems of all time was by Gualam Apollinaire, I think you pronounce it. Um, and that goes something like this. Come to the edge, he said. And they said, but we're afraid. Come to the edge, he said. They came, he pushed them, and they flew. So will we go over the edge? I hope so. Because it's been being mired by the terrain that we've been forced to live on that has hindered our ability to fly, literally. I don't mean to be over poetic, but, but we are destined and designed for so much more than we've ever experienced before. And so it's holding on to the old that prohibits us from evolving into what we were born to be. And so instead of fearing that edge, then let us be curious about what's on the other side of that edge. And, um, but what's coming, what I see is coming for us all is, and this is based upon, as a storyteller, understanding the history of mythology and the stories that we've been telling ourselves forever. It's very important that we start to pay attention to the stories that we have been sharing since, literally since the beginning of civilization. And, you know, we, we, we find evidence of this etched on cave walls, in stone, in sacred text. And so it, we, we literally have a map and a crystal ball to understand what our future holds. And ultimately, we end up in a much brighter, happier, healthier and loving place, but the path to get there is not so pleasant. The, there's no story that's ever told where it's an easy ride for the reluctant hero. It's not just somebody's just gifted with something and now you get to just rainbows and butterflies your whole life. There's always a trial and tribulation. There's always a dragon to slay. And so the question is, is why did you choose this moment? If you can believe that. I used to say when I was a younger kid, a little bit, you know, more of an atheist and doubting uh, any kind of spiritual presence. I used to say, we're just moss on a rock. That used to be a statement of mine. We just, we, we put all this meaning into it, but we're just moss on a rock. That's all we are. Big rock floating in space. And we're just some kind of a life form growing all over this moss. But now I see it. I've had too many experiences that have informed me otherwise, that there's a very divine purpose for our lives individually and collectively. And so the question is, why did you choose to come into this experience right now? Now, even if you're you know, a, a lover of God and, and creationism and, and all of that, there's still a some people say, oh, it's God's choice, not mine. Are you sure? Or do we have some kind of symbiotic, symbiotic relationship that allows us to have the will when we're in spirit form to choose 
when it's time for us to be created? You know, big questions, but those are the questions that I ask myself. And when I ask myself, if I chose, because I, I, I will, I'm doing my best not to come to any conclusions anymore because I realize in 10 years from now, I maybe look back at all this, like I look back at most of what I believed 10 years ago and I just can't, I can't believe it. Um, so I, I may have that experience too. I hope so, because that means I continue to evolve and evolving is fun. But what I'm exploring right now in my life is if we chose to come into this experience right now, then what's, our, what's the role that we were excited to play? So excited that we chose to come into this physical form and have this experience, all the confusion, everything that we experienced as a child, all the joy, all the pain, the heartaches, the first love, breaking your heart, all the injuries, the loss of the first dog and cat and grandma and grandpa and all the stuff that we experience as humans. Why did we choose this point in this play called humanity? And when I look into that, I realize that for the first time in my life, I'm actually stepping into the role that I chose to come here and play. I thought filmmaking was my purpose, but it's just a tool. And so this is my purpose. My purpose is, is to remind, to do my little part, what it, however big or small it might be, but to do my part in helping people to remember who and what they are by remembering myself who and what I am. And then being fully aware of the, the thoughts, because everything that we're challenged with right now on this planet, everything can be traced back to the way we think. Everything. Give that a shot. Look in your life. Look at any time you have depression, joy, anything. It's all a product of what you're actually dwelling on in the moment. When my kids are upset, the thing that gets them out of it really quick is I ask them, I ask my seven-year-old, who is steering your attention right now? Because one day I told them a lesson about your attention is like the rudder of a ship and, and wherever it's placed is where your ship goes. And so if you're constantly running a loop of, I'm not good like the other kids and it's not fair and all of that, then your life goes to, it's not good and it's not fair. You end up on that island. It's not good. It's not fair island. And then you wonder, how, the, how did I get, I hate this place. I don't want to be here. What a depressing island this is. I had other dreams and plans as I was a child. Well, it's, again, earlier we talked about us taking responsibility for us getting here. And on a macro, that's hard to see, but on a micro, we start to look at every decision we make. Every decision we make is what shapes and forms our lives. And so we made decisions. You know, we as men, generally speaking, um, spend a lot of time focused on football or basketball or golf or whatever it is, fully engaged in every single player on the court and knowing everything about them and having no idea of who's running our local politics. No idea of who's growing our food or what's in our food. So when you look at it from that perspective, you realize that 
my willingness to be distracted has kept me from keeping my attention on the things that are most important, like my children. Every decision I make these days, every decision I make, I weigh it against how much time will this take away from my children? And is it worth it? Or can I take them with me? So almost everywhere I go now, I take my kids with me. Because I don't, if I'm going to be gone for three or four days, I don't want to, I don't want to miss that part of their lives. They're seven and 10 and they, they're changing every week. And so those decisions that we make, and a lot of people end up later, you know, with this resentment for their own children, because they go, all that time I gave you and money I invested in everything I did, and baseball practice and piano lessons and all that. And now you treat me like this. How many parents have gone through that? But they don't, they don't take responsibility for what did I do? Where is the resentment coming from my children? And did I make choices where maybe I worked all the time? And, and, and what they saw of me mostly was, hey, 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 not now. No, go away. And we're not always aware of, particularly children, not always aware of, they can articulate that they're feeling resentment. But, but when that occurs to them enough times, um, they start to feel disconnected from daddy or mommy. And I, I, I swear at this point, every, everything we're facing right now, all the people that are at the helm of, of, of the evilest things in the world, had they been raised better? <laughs> They wouldn't be doing what they're doing right now. That may sound way too simplistic for people, but when you're raised with a strong mother and a father that actually are present for you and have deep conversations about things that matter frequently, I'm watching my boys grow up, my 10-year-old, you know, he'll be, he's 10 and a half years old. And, I, and I'm already recognizing like, this is, a, this is an incredible young man. Not just because I'm his father, but people will say it all the time. Like, you know, like he, he's, he's there to, to help other children, you know, to uh, anytime he notices a, a child that's in the classroom or whatever that feels alienated. He's always the one that goes up and says, would you like this? Or can you come out and play? What's your name? And let's teachers are always, you know, when he was in school, he's homeschooled now, but they'd always say that like he's incredibly compassionate and he understands things on an adult level and, and how to. Um, and how to navigate those things and how to communicate very, very um, emotionally literate. And it's not because my wife and I are extraordinary people. It's just that we spent extra time giving them our presence and also letting them into us in a way that I think is uncommon. When I make a mistake, I've cried with my boys and I said, I really made a mistake. And I, and, and I ask your forgiveness and I give my power to them. And I ask them, what should I do in these moments? Maybe you can help me. And they start giving me life coaching. And they realize that this is a two-way thing here. I'm your father. And yes, there, there is a, a hierarchy in our family of, um, and, and we demand your respect. But you're also going to get respect from us and you can demand that from us. And, um, and when we empower them to have that kind of equality in the relationship, um, it's extraordinary at, at what you can, um, the conversations you can have with a seven-year-old. And there's sometimes they're deeper than many of the adults in my life. 
of what they what my what my boys recognize and they sense things and they meet somebody and they come into the house and they go, I'm not sure about that guy. And I say, Yeah, you're right. I felt the same way. How, what did you see? I don't know, Dad. I just it just didn't seem like when he was looking at you, it just didn't seem like he was honest. Good job, man. Good job. You're right. He turns out to be not the best guy ever. So anyway, you get the point. But it's 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 having these these nuanced dialogues. Um, and this is one of the things with this whole COVID thing that, that we're losing touch with, you know, everyone's communicating online and through text messages and, and that human to human moment of doing what you're doing right now. You're a fabulous listener. And it's, it's, it's almost a dying art right now. I, I sometimes I'll sit back at a dinner party and, and I'll, I sometimes go quiet. My wife will be like, you okay, what's going on? I'm just, I'm observing because I'm watching that no one's listening to each other. Everyone's waiting for the other person to stop talking so they can one-up them with their story. But nobody's actually caring about what that person across is saying. They're not listening the way you are right now. And if, if we, we can come back into that, we, we evolve so much faster just by giving people the, the grace of our attention at that level. And not just constantly evaluating to it. Am I agreeing with what you're saying? I'm waiting for, I agree with that. I like that. I don't like that. I don't, it's constant. It's just, let this express like this person's giving you data, sharing with you their life experience. And it doesn't, you don't have to agree with it. It's like going to on a vacation. You're just seeing a new area, Grand Canyon. This is fabulous. Just experience the person as a vacation. And it's amazing when you do that, how much more connected you become because you're not connecting through the data machines. You're connecting through this thing we call presence. This is my favorite job, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> I don't even like to call it a job because I, it's not a job. But um, And I've said this before that I'm so grateful that I have created this. I, I will take complete ownership of, of what I'm doing here, uh, unapologetically, unashamedly. Yeah. Um, that for me, I get excited when I press record because my intention behind doing these conversations is to be the student. And, and I'm very grateful for what you said because I love listening and I, I listen to many different podcasts and I get frustrated because I hear people talking over each other. I listened to one yesterday with a very dear friend of mine who was being interviewed. I'm like, can you just shut the other guy, shut the fuck up and just let my friend speak? Yeah. He has a wealth of information and, and you'll be, you will get that if you just sit back Yeah. from anybody. And, and for me, this is my meditation. It might sound really strange, and you saw me pouring my cup of tea halfway through it with the with the pot here before. And again, I'm, I'm, I don't apologize for that because for me, sitting here with with tea grounds me, so I'm present in this in this energy, in this presence. So once again, thank you for for allowing this connection. And it's really interesting what you were talking about. Before, 
um, I went through a ceremonial process five or six weeks ago. And in that ceremonial process, I went through my own death process, the best way I could describe it. And I've, I, I had experienced that before three or four years ago, and I didn't think I would never need to revisit that again because it's very fucking challenging. But it came to me a couple of months ago, you're going to go through this again. You need to, you need to remember who you are. You've forgotten. <laughs> you need to remember who you are. And I had tears because I was like, oh, do, I, do I really have to do this? <laughs> you know, I'm just talking to myself here. Nobody else is telling me to do it or anything. But my internal dialogue is yeah, you, you need to have some medicine again to wake up to remember who you are. And the impetus behind that was, or the intention behind that was, you need to experience death once again to know how perfect it is in this reality and then the next. <laughs> because my intuition was telling me that we were going to be facing a lot of death coming up. And if, if you are not okay with it, emotionally and spiritually, and you cannot be grounded through what is coming and what is happening now, then you will be swayed with your emotions. And now is the time for you to understand once again that death is not the end and everything is perfect, everything is in balance, everything is exactly as it's meant to be. And I have got that lesson once again. I, and uh, when I came out of the ceremony, that was my first word. The first two words, I remember. I remember. I remember. As you were saying, what are you here? What is your purpose? Part of that is to remember. I, um, I love that. And it reminds me of an experience that I've had more than once. I've done a lot of filming with in indigenous cultures. Um, we were, well, I was the first filmmaker to. Wow. The studio's falling down. <laughs> I was the first filmmaker to be allowed to film inside of a Sundance and a Spirit Dance, an official. Native American Sundance and Spirit Dance. And then the elders actually invited me into a sweat lodge to film inside a sweat lodge. And they had never allowed this uh, ever before. Um, and I was told that it was a very privileged situation to honor and respect. Um, and during that experience, um, one of the elders uh, was giving us just beautiful oration of, of wisdom and and I said, um, I'm learning so much from you. And he said, you don't learn, you remember. And then I was in Ecuador filming another indigenous ceremony. And a female elder said the same thing to me. You're not here to, to be taught. You're here to remember. I thought, wow, what a, it's subtle, but it's, dramatic at the same time that that's right. I knew this. I knew this 
before I came into this body. And I knew this as a bright-eyed little infant. No language yet, no way to process cognitively uh, the story of what I was experiencing, but absolutely aware of the grand, the grandest elements of this existence, aware of the, the magic of this life, aware of the divinity of humanity, aware of my purpose as an infant. And then life has been designed such that we are incentivized to forget. And, and it's partially because of the system that has been set up to cause that for intentional reasons so that we, we don't bloom into our full potential because that's a threat to the masters. And then it's also something that we adapt to and we create internally because we don't want to take responsibility for our lives. We don't want to admit that we're the cause of our lives. We'd rather blame, oh, women are this way, or oh, men are this way, or it's the, eh, whatever it is. We don't want to say, I am all that. And, but that is the key, literally to the key of, to, to unity. The key to oneness is, you know, they, they say the original name of God is I am that I am. What does that mean? We made a movie years ago called the Moses Code, suggesting that that statement was a reflection of, um, of importance for us to remember right now that all this judgment that we have for everything to remember, I am that I am. And when we remember that, the impulse to destroy something that's different from us goes away because we then we realize I'm that I, I can, I can strive for stopping that person in the same way that I strive for reducing my bad habits and the things that are destructive to my life, the way that I will be aware that I can't eat French fries every day. It's not actually good for this instrument, but I love them. I have to show some discipline so that I don't indulge in that to the point of where my love for that destroys the thing I, I love most and what's most important, which is life. And so, That remembering is what is available for us right now. We've been told who we were, who we are. We've been told what to think and not how to think. All of our education, if you're you know, under the age of 80, your education, you have been through some form of indoctrination. If you've gone to university, you've definitely been through a lot of indoctrination. And it is a, a, a system designed to create robotic responses such that we will um, find solace in slavery, comfort in slavery, comfort in not having the choices of freedom, comfort in have, having somebody else tell us where to be and what to do and when we're good and when we're bad. There's a, a, a part of us that, that, 
it's the same phenomenon I studied a few years ago when I was writing a screenplay, and I was just so amazed that that um, I was studying the phenomenon of, of a dominatrix. And it turns out there, it's mostly high-level businessmen that are into this. CEOs of major corporations that want to go somewhere to have somebody to tell them, you're a pig, shut up, sit down, bark like a dog, crawl over here, eat that dog food. Like they literally, like they, they, they obtain some kind of satisfaction and it's not always sexual. And so what is that? What, what is that thing that has us want to be overpowered by someone else? Because if we can have that experience to have a dominator in our lives, then, then we get to live in that illusion that we're not at the cause of every choice that we make. We say it's them. And while there is a they, I used to say, I, I, one of the first viral things I've ever written was years ago, and it was called, There Is No They. And of course, all my lefties loved it because it was right in line with the narrative. And we all wanted to believe everything was rainbows and butterflies. And, and, and it's not. At the core, beyond all of this mess that we've created, all people are born good. And there's, it's hard for the mind to comprehend that, that, that dualistic reality, that things are both incredibly effed up and totally divine at the same time. You know, the mind sees things in black and white and it's like, it's got to choose one, but it, it, both are true. Both in the same space are true. And so knowing that things are effed up means there's room for improvement, but also knowing that we allowed it to get here and we're actually part of it, even if it's unwittingly or unconsciously, we're part of the system that brought us to this effed up place. And that's actually great news. Because if this all happened with completely in contrast to our own will, then we have no power over the situation. But we have tons of power over it. But the first step we have to do is be willing to see it. And then we go through the five stages of grief, something similar to that. You know, but we've, how long can we wallow in denial? That's the first stage of the five stages of grief. Some people are still there in denial. You know, but the, the final stage is acceptance. And from that point of acceptance is when we actually have the power to do something about it. I accept this. I accept that this is what's happening. I accept that we have incredibly demented people out there that are trafficking children and using them as slaves and disposing of them as soon as they choose to. It's horrific to, to think that, to, to know that exists in the world, but it does. And it exists at a scale much larger than anyone wants to imagine. As a matter of fact, since we're on this subject, the majority of why, if we get behind the why, why would all of these world leaders, and a lot of them, you'll never know their names, but they're world leaders, believe me, why would they destroy their world, their environment, their cities? Why would they want their cities burned down? Why would they want their economies crashed and all of that? It's to create a destabilized environment such that the people will allow them to ramp up things like censorship, 
well, why, why do they, why are they so concerned with censorship? It's, oh, because there's vaccine misinformation. They don't, they care so much about humanity. They don't want people out there like me and you suggesting that this virus, you can survive it if you take ivermectin. That's a horrible, is that it really, is that what it's about? I think we're clear at this point that they're not really about our well-being. So then what's it about? Well, they needed to create an environment to take total control over this invention that's gotten out of hand that has now allowed us to share information. There used to be three networks. I grew up, you grew up with three networks. And now there's hundreds, if not thousands. And we actually are in control of a lot of them. And they, the lockdowns backfire. The unintended consequence of the lockdowns is how out of touch they are with humanity. They thought we're going to lock them in the room. They're going to turn on MSNBC and CNN, and we're going to get them. That's not what most people did. They turned it on to a point of where they went, same information every single day, super depressing. Let me go here. Do, 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 do. What? And now they're all sharing information. They're all on Telegram and all these other apps, and they're sharing information. I can't share new information anymore. And that used to be my job. Is to, I used to just love it. I could re have my research team find something. Whoa, check this out. I would share it and people would go, no way. And now I say something and everybody goes, oh, yeah. Yeah, we saw that. And that's wonderful. Because now people are doing their own research. And the men that were, you know, look what's happened to our sport. They're being destroyed. They're either completely co-opted and owned by China, or there's ideologies that are infiltrating the sports to such a degree that it's all politics now. They can't just enjoy a game anymore. And if they happen to be the wrong skin color, then they're just going to be shamed the entire game. It doesn't feel good. It's no longer the experience that it was before. And then you have your favorite athletes that are coming out, you know, LeBron James with just one bizarre statement after the next. And so a lot of men are turning their backs on, on televised sports. Awesome. It's a great start. Because as soon as they do that, they're going to they're gonna find something more important. They're going to understand what a distraction that has been. It has kept generations of men off the front line of their lives. I'm an athlete. I love sports. My kids and I, when I'm done with this, I have one more interview with another amazing Aussie after this. And we're going to go in the backyard and play ball. But engage in it. Play it. It's not a life. and None of this is a spectator sport. And so a lot of people now are going, I'm back in the garden. We have a garden in our backyard. You just put in two days ago. My wife's a gardener now. You know, she never was before. And all of our friends are passing around secrets about how to best grow our vegetables and and, and, you know, what, you know, we're all talking about alternative energies and, you know, power goes down and, you know, we're getting sufficient in the, the managing of our own lives, another major unintended consequence. And so your question a moment ago that you asked, are they just, is it a runaway train or is it intentional? Both. And so it is intentional and it's, it has been planned for decades. But because they live in their own bubble, their own elite bubble, and they don't understand us, they have made so many errors and they have no idea. What, why is everyone turning on us? Why is everyone leaving the party? Why is everybody, why is everyone in the streets? We thought this would work. We thought if we scared them enough, they would just keep going along with it. They actually thought that they could tell people one shot and you're back to freedom. Oops. Now you're not fully vaccinated yet. 
Okay, two. Ups, three. How about four? Now you have to have this amount. Now your children have to have that or you can't actually go into a restaurant. They actually thought that people were going to say, okay. But now even the most ardent supporters of vaccinations are saying, hell no, stop. This has gone too far. And I have now some direct evidence in my life that this thing you're putting into my bloodstream may actually not be good for me. It may wane over time. Evidence is showing that it doesn't last. So if it doesn't last, what is this going to lead to? Just keep putting these toxins in my body, like what, every three months, six months? What, what is it? What do you want me to do here? And that's a beautiful thing. Unfortunately, a lot of those people are going to deal with some ex extreme health situations over the next few years. And so in, in, a, in a sense, it's a, it's a sacrifice. I see them in a lot of ways. I don't get angry at them. Sometimes they're just like, oh, I can't believe you're still falling for this people. But in other ways I go, it's, it's, it's kind of an unconscious heroic act of sacrifice. And I'm sorry for the people. I've met so many people. It breaks my fucking heart, Pete, to, to try to get words out of a parent. And when I put my kids to bed at night, I'm often thinking about the interviews that I just did that day. And I'm holding my little guy in my arms. And I'm thinking, I can't imagine, I can't imagine what it'd be like to have this precious, healthy little child today. And now he's unresponsive. And now he's having seizures. Now he can't walk right. And it was me, my choice of listening to these bastards that did it. And this is what parents are dealing with. And it's going to get a lot worse because of this new mandates for children now. But the most fierce people on this planet are the parents of injured children. And so they're literally at the same time, another unintended consequence. They are creating a generation of unstoppable warriors. Speaking of that, some little beautiful child just walked in. Oh, oh, I have my next call. Um, God, I love, I love talking to you, Pete. I have, a, I have a, another 25-year-plus friend lives in Melbourne, um, and he's got a podcast, and I, uh, I got to jump off in seven minutes. Hmm. Well, let's make those seven minutes count for you and your, you and your boy. And um, I love you, brother. Once again, thank you for remembering who you are. Until we meet again. You know, the last time we got to connect like this, Pete, I, I just... Um, um, <laughs> wow. So the last two years have been an incredible experience of gauging who are my friends and who are not my friends. And I've been shocked at the people that I would have sworn would have had my back through anything. And they were, some of them were the first ones to go out online and make sure that everyone knew that they were distancing themselves from me. And I knew them for 20 plus years. It was shocking to me. Some of them have tried to re-enter my life. A week ago, one of them actually came here. We sat on the back porch. 
It was a beautiful conversation. He cried. I cause because he 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 was one of those people that went online to make sure everyone knew that he was distancing them and his company was completely distancing themselves from me. And he came in and he said, I I was overpowered by the mob. I bowed to the mob. Because my first question for him was, I said, what do you think I did that warranted that public announcement? And he said, I actually never believed that you did anything wrong. I know you. I'm actually, I was actually with you. I said, then why'd you do that? He just said, I was under a lot of pressure. And people in my company knew that you were an ambassador of the company. And taking you off the website wasn't enough for them. They were threatening to quit, threatening to report me, all this stuff. And I said, so it was money, afraid to lose money. I said, you need to look at that, man. You need to look at that. Because you're one of the five people on this planet I would have bet everything, would never have done anything like that. And I still love you. And that's when he just... I said, but I trust that one day you'll make this right in your own way, whatever you choose to do. And I appreciate you being honest and saying, I'm sorry, and that you never doubted me, but you made moves. And I said, you brought, you brought some hardship to my life. And you have to own that now. It's on you. And so I say this, Pete, because um, um, I, I don't take friendships lightly these days. I'm very selective about who comes into my life in an intimate way. And very, very um, cautious about who I share myself with in this way. And the reason I'm, I jumped at the chance of coming back on your show is because of the experience I had with you and the, um, the, the, the purity, the honesty, the, the authenticity, integrity that um, just pours out of every orifice of your, your being. And so I just, just wanted to let you know that that's the way I see you. And I really appreciate the man that you are and the courageous moves that you've made. I know that you've also been hammered by the press. I know, I know what it's like. And you're still here and you're still telling the truth. So God bless you, friend. Mm. And I hope to meet you in person one day. Oh, that, that's, that's, that's inevitable. And <laughs> that's a certainty. And yeah, uh, the press can write whatever they, they choose to. I had the same experience that you were talking about i had long-term business partners and people i would i would have called friends yeah and same thing but that's okay it's 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 yeah it's perfect in all its wonder <laughs> and uh the last two years has been beautiful and meeting people exactly. like yes like yourself and and others my life has only gotten better it's it's a, it's absolute miracle right now just how much love and 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 uh fulfillment i'm experiencing in my life mm. and i do have to jump this <laughs> is the point where you say how do people keep in touch with you right how do people keep in touch <laughs> with you <laughs> well your, your movie's about to be seen by a billion or more people pandemicseries.com it's all on there um, I've released a book since the last time we talked to, and it's, it's doing really well. It's, it's, it went n number two and, uh, five stars. And it's, it's, it's packed with information that is meant to help 
loved ones heal. And so I highly recommend people to get it for that purpose. Mm. And you have a, a Telegram channel, I believe, or is, is that? Just, we, just, we just launched that yesterday, Perfect. matter yes. of fact, and that's uh, Pandemic Official. Love you, mate. Thank you, brother. Hmm. With the new day's dawn and 
expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. 
guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions, or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast. Please visit evolvenetwork.tv. That's evolvenetwork.tv. We'll see you there.